0: So uh, my name's Tim. If I haven't met you before, I get to serve here on pastoral staff, uh, teaching pastor. um, And we as a community, we have been walking our way through the book of Acts for a number of months now. But today we're going to take a break from that. We're going to do kind of a standalone uh, talk on the topic of the Trinity. And uh, you're probably thinking, I've been waiting for this, yeah, the Trinity. All right, well, I, you know, I've never heard a sermon on the Trinity. I kind of wanted to explore it. Uh, I, I, I like thinking deeply about faith, um, and the Trinity is a topic you can think deeply about. And I also, as we start a year off to get, you know, kind of start the school year, one of the things that I thought would be good for us to talk about is life in community, life as an intentional community, and that flows out of being made in the image of God, who is fundamentally relational. We believe a relationship is at the center of reality, and that impacts how we live. So I want to talk about that today. So it's been very interesting. In the last oh, century or so, more and more, we are discovering there is an interconnectedness about this world, a relationality about this world that we didn't realize before. So you've probably heard of, like, the butterfly effect, chaos theory, Right? The butterfly effect um, is this idea that a butterfly flapping its wings in South America can affect a hurricane in the North Atlantic. That um, that there's systems that are so sensitive to the least changes that it, the, the change in one part reverberates the entire thing. So, for example, chaos theory would say, in this room right now, um, there's all these uh, air molecules. Uh, there's, this room is full of air and little atoms and molecules, beep, 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 beep. Going around, right? You can, you know, they're very tiny, you can't see them. But well, um, they're be And now, cancer would say if you if you found one of these molecules, the Joe molecule, if you wanted to know a fraction of a second later where Joe molecule is headed, you would have to know where all the molecules in this room are, and all the molecules in the walls are, and all the molecules in the air outside this building are, and in fact, all the subatomic, even the cosmic rays and bombarding, you'd have to know where everything is. To know just one fraction of a second later where Joe molecule's headed. Because the cosmic rays will hit the air molecules, will hit the ones in on the wall, which will affect the ones in the room, and it'll ding, 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 and affect where Joe's headed. It's all interconnected. I mean, it's mind-blowing. Reality is more interconnected than we ever realized. Or if, you're stu- if you study biology or ecology, you, you know how interconnected the world is. There's this often told story about uh, Yellowstone National Park. So, Yellowstone National Park, uh, the wo- wolves have uh, about 70 years, they were eradicated from Yellowstone National Park. No wolves. So, the elk, they are just, they're like, you know, when the wolves are away, the elk will play. They're just eating all the vegetation they can. And so in the mid-90s, they said, we should bring the wolves back. So they bring wolves back. And what happens is the elk, uh, they realize if they're down in the valleys and gorges, they could get trapped by the wolves. So they, they began leaving the valleys and the gorges. Well, the vegetation in those places started regrowing. Trees could grow taller. They could regrow. And so this new habitat developed. So birds returned and beavers returned. And the vegetation got so thick that it started to stop the erosion that was taking place. And the actual the routes of the rivers changed Because of the wolves coming back to Yellowstone. Reality is interconnected in ways that we never even realized before. I was at CCF Friday night talking to one of the guys who was taking quantum mechanics at Western. If you YouTube quantum entanglement sometime, you just be yeah, it's great. Or or if you're into psychology, systems theory, the way way communities affect how we live and who we are. Reality is interconnected in ways we're, we're discovering. There's a relationality about reality. If you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, I think, it's, I, I think a natural reaction would be, oh yeah, of course it is. We believe God is relational. God is three Father, son, and spirit. God is a, a relationship of love from eternity past. It's not surprising that this cosmos he has created has echoes of relationality all around it. See, Christians throughout history have said God is one God and three persons. Three persons and one God. There's a relation. A relationship is at the center of reality. Now, maybe you hear that. uh, And there's probably a variety of reactions that you have to that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Maybe, you know, some of us might say, "Um, could you repeat that over again? You know, so God is three. Oh, yes, God is three. God is three. And God is also one. Yes, yes. God is one. God is one. So He's three and one at the same time. Oh yes, yeah. That's very confusing. Yeah, it's a mystery. You should just, you know. Yeah. I mean, because if you if you've ever looked at the Trinity, it's confusing, right? Three persons, one God. How does that how does that work together? And I think if we're, you know, sometimes in this in the modern age, I think we can get cynical about it. Oh, you know, that's just Christians just, you know, making things. The priests made that up to make things confusing or make, you know, make religion confusing for people. We just need to get back to the simple Jesus. And in fact, Thomas Jefferson, he said something like this. Getting back to the simple Jesus. Thomas Jefferson wrote this. He said, When we shall have done away with the incomprehensible jargon of the Trinitarian arithmetic, that three are one and one is three, when we shall have knocked down the artificial scaffolding reared to mask from view the simple structure of Jesus, we shall then be truly and worthily his disciples. So Jefferson's expressing something that I don't think, I think people sometimes say things like that, that we need to, you know, that belief in the Trinity, that's just kind of, we need to get rid of that and just get back to simply Jesus. I think Jefferson's right about one thing and wrong about one thing. I think Jefferson's right about the fact that we need to focus on Jesus. We need to follow Jesus. We need to be committed to seeing what he did, seeing what he said, devoted to him. But I think he's wrong about the fact that that will lead us away from this belief that God is a relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit. Because what we will find, I believe, is the more committed we are to Jesus, the more seriously we take his words, the more Jesus will lead us into a belief that God is Father, Son, Spirit, three in one. Jesus is the doorway into the Trinity. I want to look at a couple things, a couple examples of how Jesus leads us to that. Uh, The first scripture we're going to look at this morning is Matthew 28, 16. If you'd like to follow along in your Bible, Matthew is way to the right. It's after Malachi and it's before Mark. We're going to be looking at an account here. This is from, uh, Jesus uh, has been crucified, he's been resurrected, he's defeated death, and he, these are some, this is one of his last interactions with his close friends, the disciples. So this is, very, this is one of the last interactions with the disciples right before he ascends uh, to heaven. And uh, if we take seriously Jesus and what he said and did, I want to take seriously what happens here. So Matthew 28, starting in verse 16, um, Matthew records this. He says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, that is, they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations." So if we're taking if we said okay we we want to get we want to focus on Jesus what did Jesus say about himself what did Jesus say about what who God is well, let's let's listen to Jesus well already in this account we we all sorts of questions are going to be raised Jesus was a first century Palestinian Jew with disciples who were first century Palestinian Jews and first century Palestinian Jews were fierce monotheists they worshiped they they said you should not worship anyone or anything other than the one God of the Hebrew Scriptures, Yahweh. But here, this group of people, these disciples, it says, worshipped Jesus, and Jesus was okay being worshipped. What does that say about him or how he sees himself? Or Jesus said, all authority on earth and in heaven has been given to me. He says, I'm in charge of heaven. What does that say about how Jesus sees himself? Or Jesus says, he says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And even this for first, first century Palestinian Jews would have echoed language that God uses of himself in the Hebrew scriptures. So in Deuteronomy 31, God says, uh, the Lord himself, he's speaking to Joshua, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Deuteronomy 8 and this same kind of language Jesus applies to himself. And then of course there's that big glaring bit in the middle where where, where Jesus says when you go and you, when you, when you go and you, you get you make other disciples of me and you initiate people into the movement baptize them in the name singular of the father the son and the spirit. I mean, even this, it's like this one-in-threeness. He doesn't say baptize them in the names of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. He says baptize them in the one name, and the one name is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Even in Jesus' very language, there's this one-in-threeness and three-in-oneness. And so if we're committed to Jesus, we soon find Jesus himself leading us into this, this one-in-threeness, this idea that there's a relationship at the center of reality. And just to show this this Matthew verse, this Matthew passage isn't an isolated instant. This is really the tip of the iceberg when it comes to taking Jesus' words seriously. I want to just show you a few other examples here. Um, uh, Jesus in John 10, 30 says, I and the Father are one. Jesus in John 14, 16 says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he, this other helper, may be with you forever. So here we have Jesus talking about the Father and talking about the helper. Or John 14, 23. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, they will keep my word. And the Father and I will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. That is a weird thing to say if you're just a normal person. Yeah? I and the Father are one, and we will come indwell you. Normal people don't say that. I know lots of normal people. No one has ever said that to me. And and I would go on to say that other philosophical and religious leaders in history don't say things like that. Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, Muhammad, Buddha, they don't say things like, I and the Father are one, and I will be with you forever, and I will indwell you. What? What? If we're follow we serious about what Jesus taught, we soon find that our devotion to Jesus leads us into a view that God is three and one. There is a relationship at the center of reality. Father, Son, Spirit. So Christians, followers of Jesus, throughout ages, uh, they, they, didn't, they didn't come up with this to, to be confusing or to make things difficult. What, this is, the, the way the belief in the Trinity, the, bela- the way the belief that God is three persons and one God, the way that came about is this, that Christians encountered someone, something happened that they had to make sense of. They encountered this person, Jesus. And he said things and he did things that didn't fit into their normal paradigms. He died and was resurrected. And then they had this encounter with the spirit. They had this personal spiritual experience. And they were trying to make sense of this data, this evidence. And they wrestled with it, putting it together. And it led them to the conclusion of God is three in one. There's a relationship at the center of reality. One... There's there's this quote. One early uh, Christian theologian was complaining about how much the Christians were wrestling with this idea. And uh, I want to read it to you. I just thought I found it kind of humorous. Gregory of Nyssa is his name. And so all these Jesus followers were trying to figure out how does this all fit together? You know, we we had this experience. How does this fit together? And this is what um, he said. He said, everywhere in the public squares, at the crossroads, on the streets and lanes, people would stop you. And discourse at random about the Trinity. I'm sure this has happened to you. If you ask someone, if you ask something of a money changer, he would begin by discussing the question of the begotten and the unbegotten. If you question a baker about the price of bread, he would answer that the Father is greater and the Son is subordinate to him. If you went to take a bath, the bath attendant would tell you, that in his opinion, and then he goes on. Da, 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 da. Yeah, but yeah, it's kind of, and the, it's the guy, Gregory Anissa, he's fresh. he's like, I'm trying to get some bread here, all right? And then they're like, let's talk about the truth. Because they were, these Christians, they were devoted to Jesus. They, we, we are devoted to Jesus, but the, Jesus said these things and did these things. We have to make sense of it. And it led them to this belief that God is three persons as one God, that a relationship is at the center of reality. So this is what I want to do uh, uh, kind of the rest of the morning. I would, like, I would like to outline for us, essentially, I want to outline for us the fundament. When we say God is triune, when we say God is trinity, I want to outline the fundamentals. What's the baseline of what we're talking about? Not to kind of explain it away or solve it completely, but just what, is the, what are the boundaries of that that we're talking about? And there's really, there's three statements that we need to hold together. When we affirm the Trinity, these three statements are what Christians throughout the millennia have said. When we say God is triune, this is what we mean. Three statements. That's handy. Three. Trinity. There you go. Um, So the first statement there's one God. The second statement is that this one God exists as three persons. And the third statement is this one God who exists as three persons. These three persons are all equal in their attributes, in their essence. One God exists as three persons who are all all equal. Unity in essence, trinity in uh, threeness in personhood. You could say, one one person says, God is one what and three who's. One what and three whose God is one essence, three Persons. Now, I was trying to think about ways that we could explore this to kind of kind of look around, like kind of look in it and, and, and see what we're talking about here. And what I'd like to do is I want to go through and talk about what happens if you drop any one of these three statements. And I, and I hope that by doing that, that will help us understand what we're talking about when we talk about the Trinity. So imagine if you affirm there's one God... You affirm there's three persons, but you say those three persons aren't really equal. You drop the equal part. So one God, three persons. Sometimes uh, this, is, uh, this has been called Arianism. But uh, essentially it means this, that the, if the three persons aren't equal, you might say the Father is really the one God. But the Son and Spirit aren't really God. They're like these super beings, these super creatures, but they were just created beings like the rest of us. So we'll we'll just say Jesus and Spirit aren't God. So there's one God, the Father. There are three persons, but they're not really, the Son and Spirit aren't really equal with Father. Now, uh, Christians have said, well, a couple problems with this. One, it doesn't do justice to the data. Uh, You know, when you look at Jesus accepting worship, only God is worthy to be worshipped. Jesus is claiming to be fully God there. And also, there's all sorts of problems that result in this. Christians throughout history have said that in the cross, we see the fullest heart of God revealed for humankind. We see the love of God put on display in the cross. But if Jesus isn't really God, how can we say that? And in fact, if Jesus isn't really God, how can we talk about Jesus saving all humankind? How could he have the ability to do that? And so Christians throughout history have rejected this view. They said, there is one God, there are three persons, but those three persons are all equal. There is a relationship of three equal persons in the one Godhead throughout history. There is this relationship of these three equal persons at the center of reality. So now, okay, so say we move away from that. Maybe we go over here and we say, okay, there's one God. Yeah, there was, well, there's one God. And yes, there's equality in this one God, but there aren't really three persons. The three persons is just kind of an illusion. The, uh, the, the fancy word for this is modalism. And um, when you hear the word modalism, think mo- like mode, like, you know, go into different modes. So the idea is that sometimes the one God goes into father mode. Father, then sometimes he goes into son mode then he goes into spirit mode, you know, it's kind of, the, it's really just one God acting like there's three or puts different masks on the father mask and then puts on the Sun mask and then puts on the spirit mask. And, um, and Christians throughout history have said, no, that's not right either. That doesn't do justice to the data. That doesn't do justice to what we've seen because we've seen like at the baptism of Jesus, we saw Jesus, he's being baptized, um, and, the, it says, and the Holy Spirit comes down on him like a dove. And at the same time, the voice of the Father says, Here's my Son with whom I am well pleased. And so, you know, what we see this data of, it seems like there's three persons interacting here. And in fact, Christians have gone on to say, if there's really not three, three genuine persons within God, then how can we say God is love? How, co- how can we say God is love? Because, when, because love... Love requires a subject and an object. Love requires a lover and a beloved. And so Christian said, God, God is love from eternity past. And, and that means within God, Augustine said it this way, that within God there is at once lover and beloved and love itself. I think we have that quote there. Maybe not. Just kidding. Oh, yeah, we do. So God is, God is, uh, when we say God is love from eternity past, there's actually the Father is loving the Son, is loving the Spirit, is loving the Father from all eternity. There's this eternal dance of love within God. So Christians have rejected that. They said, no, there is one God, and there is equality with God, but there are three genuine persons. There is this genuine relationship at the center of reality. So then maybe, maybe a person might say, well, okay, there's, uh, there's three persons, and they're all equal, but there's not really, they're not really unified. They're not really one God. And the, the fancy word for this is tritheism. Um, and the problem is that I, it, it introduces division within God. It doesn't do justice to the data. Uh, You know, one of the the most important scriptures in in, uh, the Hebrew uh, Bible is Deuteronomy 6.4. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the other problem is that if there are three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, who are all equal, but they're not one unified God, what ends up happening is we can have views of God that pit the Father over against the Son. And there's this division that is introduced in how we think about God. Sometimes you'll see this. Maybe you've, maybe you've heard the cross of Jesus talked about this way. This is a caricature, an untrue caricature of the cross. But maybe you've heard about it kind of talked about this way. That the Father God is, uh, he, God, the Father God is angry about sin. He's angry about sin and he just wants to hurt something. He's mad at those people who are sinners. And so he wants to, you know, he's angry about it. And the son, uh, see, the son's really nice. He doesn't want to see anybody get hurt. So the son says, don't hurt those people down there. Just hurt me instead. And so on the cross, the father's kind of taking out his anger at sin on the son, who's kind of getting in the way. And it's almost this divine child abuse where the father is against the son, and the son's trying to protect the people. And that is an untrue representation of, Of what is happening in the cross. Because it it, it introduces a kind of division in God that does not exist. God is unified. One God. Not the Father against the Son. The Son against the Father. And so a a Trinitarian view of the cross. A view of the cross that says these three persons are all united as one God. Says they are united. Father, Son, and Spirit united in their compassion. Compassion. Their mercy, their desire to forgive every man and woman. And they're also united in their displeasure, even anger at sin. And if that sounds weird to you, think about it this way. If someone you love has cancer, aren't you angry at that cancer? Don't you want to get rid of it? Sin is a cancer on our souls, it is right. If God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit love us, it's right for God to want to get rid of it. And the Father, Son, and Spirit are united in both their love for us and their displeasure of sin. They play different roles in the cross, but they're united. They're one God. So Christians throughout history have said, yes, there are three persons. Yes, they're equal, but they're also united as one God. There is this relationship of unity at the center of reality. One God, three persons, all equal. And it may, seem, it may seem abstract at first, but I believe in this, I believe in this, we find some um, very important statements about this world and about what it means to be human. To affirm that there is one God who is three equal persons, because God is triune, There is a relationship at the center of reality. Because God is triune, intimacy is at the center of reality. Because God is triune, servanthood is at the center of reality. Because God is triune, sacrificial love is at the center of reality. This is the God who created the cosmos and created you and I. So what do we, what do, we do with this? Where do we go from here? A couple, a, couple, a couple of things I just want to put in front of you, kind of where we go from here. One, I want to uh, offer you a resource. Uh, there's a book that I'd really recommend, a book by Daryl Johnson um, called Experiencing the Trinity. Uh, he's a professor I had. Uh, I think really sharp guy. Uh, it's not a real long book, um, easy read. So if you want to read more about this, uh, get on Amazon, check it out, "Experiencing the Trinity." And then as far as as far as what this might mean for our lives this week and this fall, um, I believe because we, you and I, are made in the image of a God. Who is relational? An image of a God who is fundamentally relational. Because we're made in in that God's image, that means the good life. The fully human life. The good life is going to be a relational life. That means probably our deepest joys and our deepest hurts will come from relationships. God is relational is god's image we you and i are made in and so here at hillcrest we have uh, we have chosen certain corporate spiritual disciplines to pursue to be intentional about our relationships one of these intentional corporate spiritual disciplines you are taking part in right now every sunday we get together in person and worship we don't, we, don't just, we don't just say, hey, just stay at home. Let me, let me email you the talk. And Carlo, he recorded a couple songs. Let me just send it to you. Just stay where you're at. Yeah. We don't do that, right? We say, I mean, obviously, if you're gone, you're somewhere. It's great to listen to it, But we say, no, come back together. We want to be flesh and blood together and worship and pray and learn together. This is a corporate spiritual discipline because we're made in the image of a relational God. And we have other disciplines that we take part in together. One of the main ones is small groups. Small groups where, where we're part of intentional communities of 6 to 12 to 15 people, intentional communities that meet every week or every couple weeks to get together and to do life together, to pray for one another, to know what's going on in each other's lives, to support one another. We do this at every level of our community life. Right now, uh, I think, yeah, literally beneath our feet are kids in small groups, Treasure Land Ministries, Elementary school kids that are in groups of like four, five, six people with leaders and uh, and 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 learning about the story of Jesus together. And they do that. They don't do it in like a 50-person group. They do it in small groups because we believe you've got to know each other and be known by one another. We're made in the image of a relational God. 4.12, our, our uh, middle and high school ministry. Right now, the middle schoolers are meeting... Uh, like 10 doors down that way. Well, there's double doors. I don't know how to do the math. But they're over in that part of the building. And, uh, and they're, they're in a big group setting right now. But all those 412 students, they're also in small groups. that meet throughout the week based by, on gender and age and, um, and location where they live, what school they're in. They're small group. Or if you're in the, if you're in the college ministry, you're in CCF. We have COREs. COREs are, are small groups. There's 6 to 15 people. They get together on a regular basis so you know each other face to face. Know what's going on in each other's lives. And, and Hillcrest, we encourage, at, at in the adult level, we encourage everyone to be in small groups, whether men's groups or women's groups or multi generational mixed gender groups, to be in small groups, to share life. Because in a, this is one corporate spiritual discipline, but you can only know someone so well in this size setting. And so we also do life in smaller groups. And it's not because, it's not like, in the beginning, God said, let there be small groups. I mean, it's not, we don't, that's not what we believe. We, uh, it's simply, we have to choose a way. How are we going to be intentional about community here and now? This is how we've chosen to do it. And it's not that in the beginning, God said, let there be small groups. But it is, in the beginning, God said, let us make humankind in our image. A God who is relational made you in God's image. We are relational because God is relational. And so my heart, my heart is that the, the, the relational ethos here in this church family. My heart is that continues to more and more reflect the relational heart of God. I have no interest in being a host of a large spiritual event. I am very interested in being part of a rich community where people are known and they're loved and they're supported. and We worship a God who is Father, Son, and Spirit together. So as we follow Jesus, we find that Jesus leads us to the belief that God is three in one. Jesus introduces us to the Father, to know and trust and worship the Father. As we get to know the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Father give us the Spirit, that the Son and the Father, their Spirit can indwell us. And the, the Father and the Spirit lead us to worship and follow Jesus all the more. And as we do this, as we, are, we enter into the life of the Trinity, we find ourselves living in human-to-human relationships more and more the way we're meant to be. May it be so. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, Spirit, we... Uh, we're grateful to you. We're grateful to you. Uh, we're grateful to you that you have made this uh, incredible world that we, can, that we can study and learn about and think your thoughts after you. We're grateful to you that you have made us for relationship, that you have made us to be in relationship with you, uh, that you've made us to be in relationship with one another. We're grateful to you, Father, Son, and Spirit, that you um, that you don't just leave us on our own to try and figure out how to do this life by ourselves, but you you pursue us. You came to earth to reveal who you are to us. You came to earth to pursue us in our dysfunction, our sin, and death to rescue us. We're thank you. We're thankful. And so this morning, uh, by your Spirit, will you give us right thinking uh, about you that we would worship you rightly. And lead us to live the kind of lives that honor you. In your name, amen.